0: Happy Memorial Day to you all and welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host Larry Frank and want to thank all the men and women who have put their lives on the line and sacrificed them so that we can live in freedom in this great Nation, the United States of America. Uh, and especially, we want to do that every day, but especially on this day called Memorial Day. So thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, you know, we start off the broadcast with some sad, sad news from the college basketball world. That legendary Razorback and Hall of Fame head coach, Eddie Sutton, ha- did pass away on Saturday at the age of 84 uh eddie spent 30 years in division one basketball as a head coach Uh, he coached arkansas from 1974 to 1985 where he had a record of 260 200 that's 260 wins and 75 losses including five southwest conference championships nine ncaa tournament appearances a Final Four appearance in 1978, and he had a winning percentage of .776, which is the highest in history of the Southwest Conference. And we got this little tribute to pay for you uh, about Eddie Sutton. Our prayers, our thoughts goes out with his family. I think he had three kids, uh, a wife, and a bunch of grandkids. So this little uh, message that we have here goes out to Eddie Sutton in memory of Eddie Sutton. Here it goes. Edward
1: Eugene Sutton was born on March 12, 1936 in Buckland, Kansas, but his legend began in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Sutton played for Coach Henry Iba at Oklahoma A&M from 1956 to 1958 before becoming an assistant under Iba. It's clear Sutton learned a lot from his mentor and was destined for greatness, winning a combined 342 games at Creighton and Arkansas but it was his stint at Kentucky where he ran into trouble. The Wildcats were put on NCAA probation because of a recruiting scandal, and Sutton was forced to resign. Welcome to the Eddie Sutton Show. I'm Tom Dorado, alongside the head man at Oklahoma State, Eddie Sutton. That's when his career came full circle. Back to his alma mater in Stillwater. I've always had a dream that one day I might come back to my alma mater. Introduced as a head coach by his mentor, a beaming Henry Iba. This is a great day for me and for Oklahoma State, and I'm so happy they're home and back home where they belong. Eddie Sutton once again worked his magic that first season. Great pass by Sean Off and John Pittman. uh, After winning just 15 games the prior year, the Cowboys won the Big 8 regular season championship and made the NCAA tournament for the first time in seven years advancing to the sweet 16 now we find ourselves with only 16 teams left two games away from being in the final four he completely revitalized his alma mater's love for basketball turning Gallagher IBA arena into the rowdiest arena in the country.
0: Run. I can't hear myself! This is Cameron and North Stadium West! It's unbelievable!
1: Sutton made five straight NCAA tournament appearances on his way to the Final Four in 1995. Yeah. We probably had some crowds that large, but not at 2.30 in the morning. That was just, uh, I was flabbergasted. Throughout the Sutton era, the Cowboys were perennial conference contenders. But perhaps Eddie's finest moment had nothing to do with basketball. Sutton was a rock for the OSU family in the aftermath of the 2001 OSU plane crash.
0: Saturday night's tragedy took the lives of 10 people who were precious, not only to their families, but to each one of us.
1: And they bounced back from that horrific tragedy, reaching the final four in 2004. Cutting down the net one final time. Ultimately, his career at OSU ended after a DUI incident in 2005. Just one month after OSU dedicated the floor at Gallagher-Iba Arena, Eddie Sutton Court. His 36-year head coaching resume is unassailable. One of only eight major college coaches with 800 wins. And the first coach to take four schools to the NCAA Tournament. His final tally is the stuff of legend. 806 wins. Four National Coach of the Year awards. Eight times he was the Conference Coach of the Year. Nine times he was a conference champion.
0: I remember when I went back to school before Mr. Iva died, and we talked about someday maybe getting Oklahoma State back to the Final Four, and I know he's looking down right now.
1: And finally... In 2020, after being a finalist for the seventh time, he and his family got the call they had been waiting for the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. My dad was so honored and humbled earlier today to receive the phone call from the Naismith Hall of Fame that he was going to be inducted. He was part basketball coach, part father figure to his players, and a mentor for countless coaches both on his staff and the opposing bench. He's won everywhere he's been. He's a gentleman. He's a coach's coach. His players went on to graduate.
0: He's a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word.
1: But Eddie would be the first to tell you, a coach is only as good as his players. He is preceded in death by his wife, Patsy, and survived by his three sons and many grandchildren. Eddie Sutton was more than a basketball coach for Oklahoma State fans. He was larger than life, and his legacy won't soon be forgotten. It's written right there. We'll be back
0: right after this. Unbelievable motivational tip today. is about something I believe in so much. Something that I think is so special. It's passion. Without having a passion in what you're doing, it's going to be tough for you to succeed. So, in life, I try to recommend to young people as they're growing. You get out of high school, you go to college, you find something you love, you major in it, and you try to pursue it to the best of your ability. It may not be the area that you go in. I never dreamt and thought about sports casting. I was majoring in business, but you get that education that could help to open up doors and give you the opportunity. But then it's to develop something that you like, find something that excites you. If it excites you and you have that passion, you feel it in your heart. A lot of beautiful things are going to happen. So make sure that you have the passion in what you do in pursuing your goals and dreams. That was the great Dick Vitale. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. I want to remind you, only moments away from having Glenn Norton. He's the editor of the JetsNation.com and also the host of of Jets Nation Radio, so for you New York Jet fans, on this Football Monday, as always, we'll be talking football, and today it happens to be with Glenn Norton, who covers the New York Jets, so that's just moments away. want to also remind you, if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns that you want to talk about, you can leave a message right at the end of this link, and we'll play it on our next episode. Also, if you want to listen to any of our interviews, past or future interviews, you can go to YouTube. They are now on YouTube. You go to Frankly Speaking Sports Channel, you'll see all the interviews we've done from the past on there, and we'll continue to put the future ones on them, like Glenn Norton today. So you can listen then. Then, join our Facebook group page. It's growing fast. Ask to join if you're not a member. If you are a member, ask your friends, invite them to join. I will approve it. Frankly speaking, sports. Make sure they type in the word sports. Also follow us on Twitter, on Twitter. Um at Larry Frankis. That's with the US at the end. So make sure you do that as well. Like I said, we're just a few minutes away from having Glenn Norton on the phone with us, and I do want to remind you all that a little bit later in the show, we are going to talk about a couple of different topics. We'll talk about the golf tournament, where Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, Peyton Manning were all involved in yesterday, we're not going to do a lot of time. But we will, there is a lot of good that came out of the tournament, and we'll also talk about the race yesterday at Charlotte, uh, about the winner, and about a suspension that might be happening, as well as uh, somebody who was disqualified, who would have been runner-up in the race, and moved back to 40. So we'll speak about that right after our conversation with Glenn Norton this morning. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to now introduce to you on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline, the editor of Jet Nation and host of Jet Nation Radio, please welcome Glenn Norton. Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm
2: doing great today.
0: How are you? I am doing terrific. Glenn, you know... You've been covering the New York Jets for a while. I know you've been a huge new New York Jets fan. I grew up in Long Island. I grew up a Jets fan. I'm actually looking on my wall right now, and I got autographed pictures in front of me of Richard Todd, Jerome Baucom, Wesley Walker, just to name a few. Um, But for Jet fans this year, Christmas came a little bit early. Uh, I think the best thing that's happened to the Jets in the last 20 years was the removal of Tom Brady from your div- your division, wasn't it?
2: Oh, I mean, listen, w- when you have to put up with Brady and Belichick every year, you just kind of look forward to the day where that tandem gets broken up. And um, while it's nice to have Brady gone, um, I'm not 100% sold that Belichick won't have something up his sleeve. I know that a lot of fans like to point to Belichick's many failures before he came before Brady came along. But really if you look at his numbers without Tom Brady in the times that he's been injured or suspended for whatever this gate, that gate, the other gate, if you look at all the suspensions and the injuries, Belichick has a winning record with you know, uh, with Jacoby Brissett and, and, and Hoyer and uh, and when he had you know, a very, very young Jimmy Garoppolo. So even when Brady's been out, Belichick's winning percentage is still best in the division.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, all, like you said, all his backup quarterbacks have seemed to be successful no matter where they go. Has it surprised you? I, you know, um, that Belichick hasn't gotten a veteran quarterback there to compete in that division.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you bring in Hoyer, who's a clipboard guy, he's a, a spot starter, but I really I think this is. I think everybody knew that Belichick wanted the opportunity to prove himself as as a guy who could win without Brady. That was the talk a couple of years ago. That's why he wanted to, you know, hang on to Garoppolo. But um, this is even more extreme than I expected. I thought he would go out and get himself a quarterback. And in sticking with Stidham and and Hoyer, you kind of have to wonder if he's just saying, you know, if he just wants to show the world that he can be a great coach with with a couple of guys that really nobody expects anything from. Um, You know, Stidham, but, you know, we can easily say no one expected anything from Brady as well out of college, but but at the same time, it, it does surprise me. There, like when when people said he'll bring in a Winston or a, you know a, a sort of a veteran with, with who's prone to turnovers, I didn't I didn't buy that. I thought we might see somebody come in um, just as someone who's a bit more proven. But I, I am surprised he didn't bring an extra body in. And my hope is is just that he doesn't plan on. On, uh, on tanking this season and, and going out and grabbing Trevor Lawrence with the first pick next
0: year. Well, you know, that, and you know, that gets to my point, that division, and like you said, you can never, I don't care who you are, you can't ever count the New England Patriots out as long as Bill Belichick's there, but it's kind of opened up for once the AFC East. Oh, absolutely.
2: I mean, listen, even with Belichick being as great as he is, as much respect as you have for him, it's not as if, you know, even if he can still field a a competitive team and win some games, it's not going to be the same as it was with Brady, obviously. Um, so the division is absolutely up for grabs, but I think at this point, you know, unfortunately for the Jets, um, on paper anyway, I think 1 through 53, uh, you, know, if we're, you know, I don't want to put too much stock on the young kids because we don't know enough about them. Just in terms of proven talent, I think the Bills are probably, the, you know, if anyone's going to steal a division, it's them. Um, But with that being said, I think the the biggest factor for the Jets, obviously, you know, the the obvious is Darnold progressing. But I think if their corners hold up, if you look at the rest of that defense and if you look at the, you know, the improvements on the O-line, the Jets, you know, they can surprise some people. But but if, you know, gun to my head today, I'd say Buffalo, if anyone else is going to steal
3: the East, it would be them.
0: Yeah, and, you know, their offense, the Jets, has improved a lot over, uh, you know, this... um, offseason season. I mean, they added Mims, who a wide receiver. Um, they um also just acquired Joe Flacco, which you were talking about, no veteran presence except maybe Hoyer in New England. Did it surprise you that the Jets went after a quarterback like Joe Flacco? It's only the timing surprised me. Um, you know,
2: because they you know, I've I've been saying for a while now. I'd like the idea. You know, once McCown left, I I'd still like to have that veteran mentor in the room with Sam Darnold. Um, I would have thought they may have snapped somebody up earlier in the in the off season. But when you look at Flacco's familiarity with Joe Douglas, of course they were together in Baltimore for a while. And and the fact that you know he's got to be at a point in his career where he realizes he's going to be a backup. And, and after you know after they signed him, I went back and I watched a couple of his games from last year. Um, I watched Green Bay, Denver, and I watched. Touched, uh Jacksonville, Denver, and I'll th- I mean, Flacco had he had more in the tank than I expected. Um, he still made some, you know, he still had plenty of zip on the football. And there was some numbers, some games where you know, like I, I picked the Green Bay game on purpose because his numbers weren't very impressive. Didn't throw any touchdowns, but you know, the box score have not always tell the whole story. And he, he put his receivers in position to to make some plays a few times. He had a what would have been a touchdown pass if his receiver got his feet down. So I'm watching and thinking, you know what? As a, as a second quarterback who's who's been to a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl, and can teach Sam. Dawson you probably couldn't do a lot better than Flacco. And, I mean, geez, after, after what they got out of Luke Falk last year, how could you not be in favor of bringing in a veteran who can at least just have the poise to, to keep things together if, if they need him for a few games?
0: Yeah, and Joe Flacco, you know, terrific quarterback, did great in Baltimore. Um, do you think the acquisition of Flacco puts more pressure on Donald to succeed?
2: I really don't. Think so. I mean, you look at the, the money is small. It's a one-year deal. Flacco's not stealing anyone's job, uh, and Darnold knows that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you know the understanding is that he's going to come in. and he, He'll be a mentor. He'll be the guy, like I said, who can prevent a you know catastrophe. Say you know, I mean, as much as I like Darnold, he has missed time each of his first two seasons. So uh, there is a little bit of concern about durability. Where even though last year, you know, you have to consider it was kind of a fluke thing. It wasn't really an injury. Um, but he has missed time, so you want someone to come in and, and com- kind of be able to command the huddle and, and, and execute the offense efficiently at the very least. And, you know, they, they couldn't get a first down last year uh, when Sam Darnold went out. So Flacco, he helps a ton there. I don't think it puts any pressure on Darnold. I think that, you know, everyone knows what their role is. You know, had they gone out and gotten a guy got like Cam Newton, I think that would have been, and I think that's why the Jets didn't. You know, as much as they needed a quarterback, Cam Newton is still a starter in this league as far as I'm concerned. Um, you don't bring in a starter – near the end of the line to, to have your, your young kid looking over his shoulder. So I think the move makes sense on a lot of levels.
0: Now, this is Donald, I believe, third year in the league. Um, you know, what kind of leash, because now you do, like you said, have that quarterback, not necessarily to put pressure on him because, like you said, he's only there for one year, but how much of a leash are the Jets going to have with Sam Donald before they say, "Okay, we need to try something else"?
2: I mean, I honestly, I think it would have to be a, a meltdown of epic proportions. I don't, I don't really see any scenario where if Sam Donald is healthy that he's not starting because, I mean, let's be realistic. This team isn't winning a Super Bowl. Even if, even if Darnold has some rough patches, you kind of – you ride through them. And really, it, that would be a concern. That might be a bigger concern. Let's say Darnold plays poorly this year and they stick with him. Then you have to start wondering is he the guy, uh, period, and not really worrying about Joe Flacco in this year. You need to say, do we have to start looking at the quarterback again? I don't think they do. I think that what we've seen from Darnold, um, I think he's highly underappreciated. You know, everyone talks about the, the pressure he's dealt with in terms of the, uh, the offensive line and the poor pass protection. And, you know, people have told me, oh, it's part of the game. Everyone has to deal with pressure. You know, as a quarterback, you're going to you're gonna face pressure. Right, that's true. But only one guy gets to face the most pressure, and that was Darnold last year. Statistically, I think he was pressured on 42% of his dropbacks, which is just ridiculous. And if you look at his numbers, when the protection is even adequate, it, he's, he's far and above, you know, what, what the, the, the big picture or I, I should say what the, what the box scores look like. Uh, throw the box scores out. Show me what the guy does, not with elite protection, but just just give me give him some middle of the road pass protection, and he's he's a damn good quarterback, and he's still one of the youngest guys in the division. He's 22 years old, and he's younger than the guy who just went number one overall in the draft. Um, so Darnold to me is still a kid, but he's got you know he's got more more NFL experience than most guys would at his age and what he's had to deal with. But you know that's one of the one of the positives in my mind that he's had to deal with is, is he's had to deal with so much chaos in the pocket for the first two years that if the guys they've added this year live up to their potential, then things are going to calm down a whole lot. And I think he's going to see the game from a much different perspective this year if everybody pans out up front.
0: Uh, we are talking to Glenn Norton, editor of JetsNation.com and host of Jets Nation Radio. Glenn, um, you know, you're talking about Sam Donald. Well, you got to give Joe Douglas some credit. I, You know, I've when I first heard of Joe Douglas, all I heard in New York, out of New York, was negative things about this guy. I didn't know him that well. But I've got to tell you, after watching him in the draft, you know, you hit on some things that they needed. They got Beckton, a beast on the offensive line now. They picked up a wide receiver. Plus, I watched a lot of Rashad Perryman last year as well. So now you got him and Mims. I mean, you gotta give the guy credit for getting the weapons and the tools for Donald during the off season to help him succeed.
2: Yeah, I I like the the job Joe Douglas has done. Um, While he did go out, like you said, he got him Perryman, he got him Mims. One criticism I would have, and I've heard a lot of other people say it as well, and listen, there's no locks with any of these picks. We don't know who's going to be great, who's going to be terrible, but just from what I saw before the draft, I really felt like the Jets were in a position, and and especially once they made a trade and added some picks, which is what I was really hoping for, I really felt like... You've got to take advantage of the fact that this is viewed as arguably the deepest receiver class in history, and you've got to grab two. If you add more picks, grab a third. Uh, because to me, Mims, I, I love what Mims brings, but you, you, there's always that concern about coming from a school like Baylor to the NFL, that adjustment. And Perryman, while he was phenomenal down the stretch last year, he's far from established. So, you you know, you let Robbie Anderson walk, which I, I, I kind of get why I was a, I was a Robbie fan. I personally, for what he ended up getting, I would have paid him. Um, especially since it was a, like I wouldn't I wouldn't have given Robbie a three, four, five year deal. But two years, small money, I think that would have been worth it. You're bringing in Perryman, whose production has been less than what Robbie's has been, and you're bringing in Mims, who you know. Like I said, I think long-term he'll be a good player, but I would have liked to have seen one, if not two more receivers taken in this class, especially in the sixth, seventh round where there were still guys on the board that were really highly thought of. But, I mean, grand scheme of things, Joe Douglas, I love what he's done. I You know, I, had, I argued back and forth with people who told me that the Jets were going to go receiver in round one. And I just, I just said, look, supply and demand, folks. There's only so many left tackles in this draft, and there are 1,000 receivers. Joe Douglas is absolutely he's going to prioritize Sam's health. He's going to get a tackle with the first pick. I love that he did that. I love Mims. Uh, like I said, I think he's going to be an explosive playmaker. I think the biggest key, really, uh, that not enough people are talking about is going to be the help of Chris Herndon. Because Chris Herndon's a guy who, if you remember the, you know, the tail end of his rookie season, he looked like he was going to be one of the top tight ends in the league. And you add him to that offense, and all of a sudden it takes a little bit of pressure off the guys on the outside. And, you know, of course, we were all surprised by how well Griffin played last year. So if you have those two guys in the middle, it takes a little bit of pressure off of Mims, off of Perriman, and gives Donald some more options. But I do like what Douglas has done on the on the great, you know, the, the, uh, the big picture.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you, Glenn, because... Um, no reason to get all these receivers if, like you said, you're not going to give your quarterback time to throw the ball. You're just defeating the purpose. And I think he did a real good job doing that. Now, I will tell you something before I go on to the next question with you is, I got to watch Perryman last year. I was, I wasn't living in Arkansas then. I was living in Tampa and I had season tickets. You know, don't underrate this guy. And the reason I say that is he was the third receiver. Receiver on a team that by far has the best duo in Evans um, and Godwin in the league on, and he still had yes down the stretch you're right when those guys got hurt I mean he actually still had 700 yards receiving and had six touchdowns so this is a guy that if he can put that type of year together in New York Oh my goodness, the potential over there offensively is just going to be incredible. Um, so don't.
2: Yeah, yeah per- Perriman, he, he's not a guy that I'm like. I, you know, I like his upside. Any fan likes a guy who's running these sub 4 4340s and shows they can get open. Um, my, my only. I'm not even concerned. I think the biggest surprise was that. To me, Robbie Anderson had had the more established career. Like, Robbie Anderson, to me, is a guy who never had a 1,000-yard season because for whatever reason, every single year his quarterback would miss four games and play like absolute trash, and Robbie Anderson would be – Uh, You know, as you look back to the year Bryce Petty came in, Robbie was well on pace for 1,000 yards that year, and then all of a sudden Petty couldn't hit the side of a barn and Robbie Anderson was out of the picture. Um, So he's been the more productive player. That being said, when I watched Perryman on the whole over that, you know, late in the season last year, he did a lot of things that Robbie Anderson doesn't really do. I think he showed better hands um, than Robbie does, probably a more refined route runner. So I don't dislike Perriman. It's just that it surprised me because the production hasn't been there as consistently as it has with Bobby. So it's, it's a bit more of a roll the dice, but a high upside
0: move. Uh, we're talking to Glenn Norton, editor of the JetsNation.com and host of Jets Nation Radio. Uh, before I get to a couple of rumors that are going around at the Jets camp, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Um... Uh, you know this defense. I think it's one of the youngest in the NFL. They did get Ashton Davis and a guy that I know very well, Jabari Zaniga, From they got him from Florida, obviously in the draft. Um, talk about this defense this year. Um, are they gonna with this young squad? Do you think they can handle that AFC East?
2: You know, as we all know, the, the Jets have been missing an edge rusher for you know for eons since John Abraham left. Uh, they're hoping Zuniga can at least be a, at least a situational guy and get to the quarterback. But uh, I think Davis. The thing I like about him, I was at, at first I was kind of scratching my head at, at the thought of a safety, just because there are so many other needs. You know, I would have preferred a receiver in that spot, for example. Um, but really, w- when you look at what Gre- as creative as Greg Williams likes to get on defense, and I actually wrote an article about this earlier today, just kind of thinking out loud. Out and saying, could this be a situation where if Davis comes in and plays well, you can then let Jamal Adams spend a little bit – I mean, I know Jamal Adams spends a lot of time in the box as it is. Um, I give Jamal Adams a bit more credit than some people do when it comes to playing in coverage. But the truth, of the, the truth of the matter is, he makes his biggest plays, his splash plays, come when he's up front. So if Davis is a quick transition to the pro get to the pro game, and you know, I'm sure we all know, Pro Football Focus had him graded as a first round pick. They thought that highly of him. Others viewed him as sort of a second rounder. So a lot of, I mean, by and large, he's he's viewed as a steal for the Jets. The amount of ground he can cover is absolutely intriguing. And if he can step in with you know as many as often as we like to see or as often as we see greg williams who likes to go with a lot of three safety looks could he put davis in a position where he can cover more ground to cover the back end and leave jamal adams up front a little bit more and try to make plays in the box i think that that could be a win-win and of course we're getting mosley and williamson back assuming they keep williamson um i think a few of us myself were surprised he's still around not because he's not a good player i think he's a damn good player but uh, when they went out and signed Anwussar from Baltimore, I looked at the fact that he previously played alongside C.J. Mosley, so was that sort of the, the beginning of the end for Williamson. But, listen, they, you know, they were playing with their fourth, fifth, sixth linebackers last year. If you go from, from street linebackers to Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley in the middle with having Jamal Adams be disruptive up front and Foley Fatakasi, I mean, what a, what a revelation he was last year. And then, of course, Quinton Williams. A lot of fans are down on him because, you know, everybody wants Aaron Donald right out of the gate. But, uh, you know, I encourage people, go back and watch Week 14 last year against Miami. Go back and watch him against Cincinnati. He, he took strides as the season went on, and I think if he gets stronger this offseason, Quinton Williams is going to be a force up front with, uh, with the guys I already mentioned. And, and Nathan Sh- I mean, the D line was great this year. Uh, Nathan Shepard, a guy who even I gave up on, I thought he was gone once that Pete suspension ended. He had himself a really nice season. Um, Kyle Phillips, the undrafted guy out of Tennessee, had a really nice season. So a lot of good players up front. you got a pro bowler in, in uh, Mosley returning and Williamson alongside him who may not be that pro Bowl all-pro level, but he's not far off from that. And uh, and Ashton Davis, and that's, I, like I said at the top, I think the biggest thing is the corners. If the corners hold up, I feel like the Jet defense is stellar everywhere, everywhere else on the unit.
0: Now let me ask you this, Glenn. Uh, Jamal Adams you mentioned, who I love Jamal Adams. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. You know, he says he wants a long-term contract, but obviously if the Jets do not offer him that, he wants to go somewhere else. What's the latest news you're hearing on Jamal Adams?
2: Basically, it's what you're saying. He wants the money now. The Jets want to wait it out. You know, we've seen Gary Myers, uh, former reporter for the Daily News, report that He's claiming that the Jets are asking for a one and a three from Dallas. And then it's basically, from what we're hearing out there, the way these rumors tend to go, it sounds, it has a feeling, you know, a really strong feeling of this being Jamal's agents. Trying to negotiate through the media and putting it out there that the Jets have a package that they've, you know, they've set a price that a trade is likely if demands aren't met. So they're trying to force the Jets' hand a little bit. But I think Joe Douglas feels like the Jets have all the leverage. They've got they've got the year five option after this season. Then of course they can franchise. So the Jets are in a good spot. It all comes down to if Jamal Adams willing to hold out. You know, we know the new collective bargaining agreement made it more prohibitive for players to sit out, but if that's his only, if that's his only way to try to force the Jets' hand, um, even with $40,000 a day fine, Jamal Adams is probably trying to go from a, a, a $9 million salary to about $17 million. So th- that's, you know, 40000 a day for a month or two would be worth it in the long run for him if the Jets eventually cave and, and give in to his demands. So I think that he, I mean, we know he, we know he wants his money. It was reported by Rich Cimini and many others at the end of the season that Jamal wanted a new deal this off season, and it's it's not unprecedented. You know, McCaffrey just got one. They were drafted the same year, but it is extremely rare for teams to give out that kind of money. Um, to me, Jamal is a he's a difference maker on defense. I would love for him to be a Jet for life, but I think that the, the interesting dynamic to me is Jamal's. Sort of his the way he handled the trade rumors last year didn't I didn't like that at all. Um, you know, as as we know, it was the Jets basically picked up the phone and listened, and that that's a general manager's job. If a GM isn't taking calls on any player, then he should be fired. That's his, his he's there to build the team. Um, so for Jamal to blow that up to the deal, he, you know, uh, they shopped me, and, and I don't trust them anymore, and I only trust Christopher Johnson. Like it was really, really, I get immature for lack of a better term, and I wonder how that, how that sort of, you know, uh, how Adam Gase feels about that, because Adam Gase has gotten rid of, you know, you remember when he was in Miami, he he got rid of some of his best players, just be, and as an offensive guy. You know he got rid of Jay Ajayi. Granted, Ajayi was struggling, but still he was one of his best players. He traded some of his best players just because he didn't like their attitudes, or he would bench guys because he didn't like their attitudes. That's something the Jets haven't had in a long time. A head coach with, uh, with you know, who would respond to that type of uh, or in that manner to someone who did something that the coach didn't like. So I, I can't help but wonder if Adam Gase is sort of nudging. Joe Douglas and saying, look, if we got to move this guy for a couple of firsts, I don't mind. Um, that being said, I, I would love for him to be a Jet. I, you know, we, as Jets fans, we, we see too many. It's not very often they draft an impact player, and they, they usually end up getting traded when that happens, um, whereas other teams find ways to keep their guys.
0: Right. Now, before I let you go, I have to ask you this question. For the last 20 years, you've been hearing the best quarterback in the AFC East – is Tom Brady. Is it almost to the point where we can arguably say, I mean, if you think about all the quarterbacks right now, that Sam Donald by the end of this year could be that name in the AFC East?
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I don't think there's any, I mean, I would say that now, really. Like I said, based on the way he played last year when he had decent protection, um, and you know, like I said, Josh Allen up in Buffalo—they made the playoffs. But that's a guy you know who, again, one through fifty-three—he's got more talent around him. If you put if you put those two guys in any, you know on the same roster, I'm thinking Sam Darnold every time. You know, two of course in Miami is uh, you know being the first-round guy you know ridiculously accurate. But I think you're going to have some concerns about his hip. You know, a guy that young who has an injury that serious—you know—how's he going to how's he going to react to? Uh, well, you know, how's he going to respond when a, when a few 300-pounders fall on top of him? So I think there's some, some injury concerns there, but I think he can be a great one. But, I mean, right now, I don't think it's close. If, if you were to say Darnold, Stidham, Allen, or, or Tua, I would take Darnold in a heartbeat.
0: Now, the New York Jets have the—before I have to ask you this, and then I'm going to let you go. New York Jets have the toughest—the third toughest schedule, supposedly, in the league. And, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt. You know how that goes. But just based on last year, what's your prediction from, if I said to you today, how many wins will the Jets end up with next year? What would you say?
2: I I would say this is a six-win team. Um, The the talent's been added. They've gotten a lot better. Um, But the, the, the schedule is a lot tougher, as you said. And, yes, anything can happen. You know, if, somebody, if somebody's quarterback goes down, all of a sudden uh, a game that looks like a, an absolute loss becomes a win. Um, so, uh, but that being said, if, 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 if this year plays well, if Austin plays well, um, you know, if, if they get good production out of the corners, I could see them being a 9 or 10 win team. But assuming the corners are pedestrian, I think they'll lose some close ones, and uh, they'll, we'll be looking at about a 6-10 and 10 season.
0: All right. Well, Glenn, I definitely want to thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on Frankly Speaking Sports. Hopefully when the season gets underway, love to have you on on some weeks after games where we can break down maybe the game, you know, the previous Sunday's games and talks about what went good and what went bad. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Stay safe, okay?
2: Thank you. Take care.
0: Thank you. That was Glenn Norton, the editor of JetsNation.com and the host of Jet Nation Radio. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. And what a great interview we just had. If you're a New York Jets fan, um, just a great, great interview with Glenn Norton. And I want to remind all of you, we have amazing guests. All the way through this Friday. This whole week, we are packed solid. Tomorrow, it starts with Phil Elson. He does a play-by-play for the Arkansas Razorbacks um, baseball team and women's basketball. Also has his own show called Halftime, which is Monday through Friday um, on ESPN Arkansas. So he'll be um, talking to us tomorrow. Then we have a trifecta. That's right. A trifecta on Wednesday. Listen to this. We start with the great Bradley Lewis Walker. Uh, he he does his own show called The Walker Report and also a show called Sunshine State uh, Jabber uh, where he goes ahead and talks sports. He's based out of the Tampa Bay area. Well, then we got Ty Richardson who is the producer, uh, the program director, and the host On ESPN Arkansas, he does his own show in the morning. And then live. This one will be live on Facebook. It will not be part of our podcast. They're all live, but this one isn't going to be recorded from earlier in the day. We are going live at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday with G-Ho Yu. He covers the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization. We're going to have lots of questions. We ask for your participation. If you have any questions that you want us to ask him in regards to how they're doing with baseball, how is baseball going with the epidemic, what is the fan situation, what is the TV ratings, all that information, we're going to talk to Jiho Yu about Live. Once again, that's a live special presentation of Frankly Speaking Sports at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Then on Thursday, the great Zach Berman, who covers the Philadelphia Eagles for the Athletics, will be joining us as well as Dan Walken, who is a sports writer for USA Today. So, both of them, what a duo that is. And then we ended on Friday with Jeremy Shulman, the great junior college head basketball coach of Eastern Florida who has 672 career wins as a head coach. So just a great, great lineup for you this entire week. So make sure you tune in to Frankly Speaking Sports. I do... Uh, want to get a little bit into this golf tournament you know let me first say the great thing about the golf tournament yesterday for those of you who watched or those of you who didn't even watch was the money that was made for coronavirus charities they made over 20 million dollars for coronavirus charities that is incredible If nothing else happened during that whole time, it's a success when you can make that kind of money. Now, you know, it was a show. It was raining out. It wasn't the best weather. And I'm not making excuses for anyone. Uh, You know, Tom Brady proved he wasn't a golfer. But man, on that seventh hole, he shocked the world, including Charles Barkley, when he made that shot from I don't know how far away, and it went right into the hole. It was incredible. That made the day right there to me. Uh, But a great, great job by Phil Mickelson, uh, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. And, you know, I thought uh, Manning, again, proved that he belongs on television. What a commentator this guy. What a character this guy is. But, you know, and you look at these guys, You get to see them at, you know, first you get to see Peyton and Tom out of the uniform. You know, Peyton's a pretty tall guy. You can tell he's getting a little bit out of shape now. But I thought Phil Mickelson was a pretty big guy himself. I never realized he, you know, when you get to see them stand near these other athletes and football players, you realize Phil Mickelson is not a small guy at all. And uh, I just thought, I thought it was fun. You know, at a time, I think the timing was right. We're at a time where nothing's going on except later that evening, NASCAR. And we had a chance now on a Sunday where there was no baseball to watch or no other sports to see this. I think if this happens during a normal time, where we weren't going through an epidemic and baseball was around, still playoffs maybe in hockey or basketball and racing going on. It might have been tougher for people to watch because there would have been other things, but great timing. Give a uh, true television, uh, you know, kudos for having it on at the right time. And timing is a lot of everything, and I, th- I thought they did a terrific job. Then uh, last night, we had the race at Charlotte. Um believe it was a 600 uh, mile race, or the 600, Coca Cola 600. And uh, last night it was Brian Koslowski that got the win. But the biggest news was Jimmy Johnson failed his inspection after the race. And as you know, they do inspections, a certain amount of inspections, and. I'm not sure exactly how it's done. But meanwhile, they were doing Jimmy Johnson's inspection and he failed. Um, So as you all know, that Jimmy Johnson, instead of becoming the runner up and second in the race, he went all the way um, to number 40. So the next race he will start, I believe, in the 40th position. But if you look at notable results from yesterday, Kozlowski was number one. Elliott was number two, Blaney third, Uh, Bush was fourth, and Harvick was fifth. And, you know, I give this guy, Harvick, Kevin Harvick, a lot of credit. He's always up near the top. He has to be one of the most consistent races in NASCAR. Every time you look at this guy, he's in the top six, in the top five, somewhere up in that area. And just another great, great race from him. And how about Tyler Reddick? You know, I've been pushing this guy. I'm becoming a Tyler Reddick fan. You know, I believe the first race back, he was eighth. Seventh, I'm sorry. He was seventh. He's a rookie. He's a rookie uh, NASCAR racer. Comes in number seven in the first race back. No qualifying, no practice, boom. Then he ends up being number 13, I believe it was, the second race. That was this past Wednesday. Um, still not a bad showing for a rookie. And then yesterday, he finishes number eight. So another two out of three races, he has a top 10 finish for Kyle Reddick. I mean, this is a guy, the number eight car. You have to really, really watch this year. He could be one of the upcoming stars for NASCAR. I definitely think so. And as we go down the list, um, Truix was six. Uh, if you look at, uh, let's see. Joey Logano was 13. Austin Dillon was 14th. Uh, I'm just going down the list. Noticeable names. Stenhouse Jr. was 24th. Matt Kenseth was 26th. Ryan, Ryan Newman was 27th. And uh, Boyer was 39th, did not finish. And, of course, we told you about Jimmy Johnson, who was disqualified because of a failed uh, failed inspection after the race. Let's go listen to Jay Fabian. Uh, I believe he's the director of NASCAR, the Cup Series. And he'll tell us why Jimmy Johnson was disqualified.
1: Numbers in the rule book, and we'll be after the race, post race inspection, going through the optical standing, scanning station. The 48 car has failed the post-race alignment numbers in the rule book and will be de Okay. Uh, we'll open the floor for just a couple questions. If you do have a question for Jay, please go to the participants button and raise your hand. We'll uh, call on you. Any questions for Jay Fabian? We'll go to Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Thank you, Jay. Um, can you be a little bit more specific in terms of what particular area And obviously, I know that there's, a, I guess, a fudge factor for the car movement. Uh, Just a little bit more detail on this, please, sir. Yeah, the failure was rear alignment. Um, It's the same thing that we check uh, at least a handful of cars for post-race after every event. Um, I can't really give specifics on the numbers. Yes, there is a pre-race number and a post-race number that that does give... a pretty decent tolerance. It was, a, it was outside of those uh, post-race numbers. And- All
0: right, so that was Jay Fabian explaining why Jimmy Johnson failed his inspection after the race. You know, and the the runner-up, uh, like we said, would have been Jimmy Johnson, but it ended up being Chase Elliott. And I think there was a real questionable call late in that race. A caution flag came out and chase and his team decided to go ahead and pit which might have cost him the race let's hear what chase elliott had to say
3: the chase the late race caution comes out what was the discussion like as you approach pit road at the end there uh just trying to you know make the best decision you can and, and those guys are going to do whatever you you know the opposite of whatever we do so uh, that's just part of it and um yeah you know you make you make decisions and live with them and and uh you know, it wasn't the it wasn't the pit call. I think being on offense is fine. Um, and those, like I said, those guys are gonna do whatever, whatever the opposite of what you do is. So, um, part of it.
0: All right, thanks, Chase. That was Chase Elliott, who had a second place finish yesterday in the race. So we heard from Chase Elliott on how it was to be uh, move up to runner up. Let's find out what it's like to be the winner. And Brad
3: Kislowski, finally, he gets this crown jewel. He wins the Coke 600. Brad, we all know what a supporter you are of the military. What does it mean to you to win this race today on uh, Memorial it, it Day? It means weekend? a lot to me, but I can't help but think about the, the Reap family and Donovan. And, uh, you know, I hope they're watching. Um, I know the race ran really late, but uh, you know Memorial Day is a lot more about more than racing. But we're glad to be able to, to get to do cool things like racing because of the freedom provided by those that are, you know, willing to make those sacrifices. Jamie and uh, man, I feel like I've thrown this race away a handful of times, and I thought we were going to lose it today. And uh, I know we've lost it the way Chase lost it, and that really stinks. And today we finally won it that way, um, and I'm just. I'm so happy for my team. I, I wish my wife was here, I wish my daughters were here, but um, it's a major, you know, it's, it's the Coke 600 and uh, this only leaves one major left for me, the Daytona 500, so we're, we're checking them off and uh, I'm really happy for Miller Lite, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with them, if they're going to come back on the car or, or what, but uh, it's been a great ten year ride with them and this is uh, you know, their only race of 2020 and uh, we're in Victor Lane. I know they're really happy because Miller Lite goes with Memorial Day, but uh, i for Ford, and, and everybody that just works their butt off at Team Penske. We might not have been the fastest car today, but wow, did we just grind this one out, Jamie. And uh, the pit crew at the end, uh, you know, the stop, or uh, the yellow right before the last, just had a blazing stop to get us up front and uh, put us in position. And all these things just came together, and I'm just, I'm tickled to death. And it's it's a little overwhelming, to be honest.
0: Here's That was the champion of yesterday's race. Brad Kaslowski and I'll tell you what, there's a real class act right there. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. want to remind you, and I know we mentioned it once before, but we have a very special live, and I emphasize the word live, because all our shows are done live, but they're pre-recorded while we do them live. This one's not free recorded. This one is live Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Time. And if you're a baseball fan and you're wondering how is baseball going to get back to normalcy or what are some of the things we're going to have to start doing right out of the gate, you definitely want to be there because we are going to be interviewing ji hoo you. So, believe it's pronounced ji ho Um, And he's going to be on um, this Wednesday evening, like I said, to talk about Korean baseball. He covers the Korean Baseball League. So, a lot of the questions that you're thinking about that are going on in your head could be asked. All you have to do is leave a message either at the end of this link or leave it on our Facebook group page, Twitter. You can go to FranklySpeaking528 at gmail.com. On Twitter, it's at Larry Frankis with the U.S. Go to our Facebook group page, one of the fastest growing pages. Go ahead and become a member. All you have to do is join. It's free. All our videos, and we will... Record this video as well and put it on YouTube later that evening for your listening pleasure. Because we have a YouTube channel called Frankly Speaking Sports. So, definitely an episode you don't want to miss. Tomorrow for you fans. You Arkansas fans who are keep helping us grow and grow and grow more. Please keep inviting your friends. Tomorrow, play-by-play announcer. For men's baseball and women's basketball, Phil Elson will be joining us live on Frankly Speaking Sports Podcast. So that's another episode. He also has his own show during the day. It's called Halftime. It's on at 12 noon on ESPN Arkansas. So definitely, definitely a show you want to be listening to. Actually, the next two days we'll have people representing Arkansas as Ty Richardson will also, from ESPN Arkansas, will be joining us on Wednesday. So just some great, great things happening here at Frankly Speaking Sports. You know, it's supposed to come out as of tomorrow. We're supposed to hear a lot more things. Uh, If you notice today, I didn't really talk much about Major League Baseball, who by the way, the proposal will be given to the players tomorrow to vote on when the start of a season is coming back. The NBA, as you know, is talking about using Disney as a central hub for basketball. And the NHL is talking about uh, continuing their season, but starting right with the playoffs. But nothing is set in stone yet. So I'm not going to report it and just bore you to death day after day after day with information that is not yet official. So once these things become official or as close to official as possible, we will get that information to you. I want to thank you all so very much for joining us today. Everybody have a very safe And happy Memorial Day. And we'll see you tomorrow on another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports.